I ask just about all my guests the same question about life online. I'm of the opinion that real life actually happens there, and I'm increasingly interested in the way that it actually happens, particularly when it has to do with labels like religion or faith or spirituality. I think a fair amount of personal formation takes place online, and I'm intrigued, at least, by the people who take that formation seriously, as well as take some degree of responsibility for it. My guest on this episode is Kevin Garcia, who calls himself a digital pastor. And while I know there are some people who might balk at that term out of wonder or even concern, I'm pretty sure there's a lot to it. There's certainly a lot to Kevin, who works with and pastors, people at the intersection of faith, sexuality, and a touch of psychotherapy. In that work, Kevin converses with, teaches, and digitally pastors people who often lack access to invested leadership and spiritual care. This is my conversation with Kevin Garcia. Check it out. Oh, God. Really? We're going to start like that, Kev? What? <laughs> what? Do I? No, I, I just, I love that song. It's a, I mean, I'm... Oh, that was what I was listening to um, about a moment ago. That's why I'm... <laughs> That's in my head. Are you a music all day person? Is it like there's something on at all times? Depending, depending. How you doing? I'm so great. Happy to be with you. Yeah, man. Uh, thrilled. Thank you for making some space and time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All that good shit. What is it, what is the what's the difference between a, like an all day music day and a, and a day in which you turn some music off some of the time? Like what's um, the because I've got music on unless I'm doing an interview. Right. For the most part, there is something playing. Uh, I, for me, the thing in the background, if I'm like um, editing video or not, if I'm editing, like I'm editing video and I don't have to like screw with the audio at all or add anything in, um, it's usually like those lo-fi chill study beats that yeah, bro. The Spotify gets. 100%. Like, yes. Someone, someone was saying and joking with me, like they said, uh, I think that lo-fi music is like millennial freeform jazz, you know? I'm not against that description, actually. So I love it. Um, if I listen to that, um, and if I'm not listening to music, it's probably because I'm, uh, I'm probably I don't know, trying to be silent or something. If I'm trying to be quiet and listen to my breath or something. Oh my god. Uh, do you have the go-to? Is it just like a playlist kind of thing? It's like you don't know who this artist is, or yeah. do you have some go-to folks that are like? So for, like for me, like, you know, older school Sigurdsson stuff oh, or yeah. uh, uh, up to like Hammock and mm -hmm. uh, Stars of the Lid, uh, yeah. Illuvium, that stuff. Those are all like go-to folks and then I kind of venture mm -hmm. out from there. Do you yeah. have go-to chill, meditative, mm -hmm. I'm working music? Um, well, if I'm going to like listen to a band in the background usually i can't have like i can't listen to classical music because i enjoy it too much and i actually want to listen to it because um i i got my degree in music education so it's just got a place in my heart and in my head um and i can't listen to pop music because i love it and i just want to boogie and swear when i listen to it so yep. it has to be like uh, just whatever's on a playlist however comma if i'm driving <laughs> and i'm listening to something i want to listen to something like Amberlynn. Yeah. or um, metric or like something a little bit more heavier. Yeah. Um, that's really like, I love heavier music. People, that's like one thing from my hood rat past that I don't always bring up is like, I love heavier music. Where, so where do you go? Do you go metal, like straight metal? Do you do more like groove mm. metal? Do you, is it like anything that has like aggression and a beat? I think aggression and a beat is good for me. I loved Chiodos, like the kind of like screamo. Like flaming um, flaming Chiodos or regular Chiodos? Um, the regular Chiodos, okay. as in like, there's no penguins in Alaska Chiodos, um, if, you know that, <laughs> if you know that track specifically. If you know, you I know. I don't. If, I really don't, but I need to now, and that's going to, I'm making notes. Well, good. I'm really, I'll send you a mix CD. Please, you know? please do. Or mix tape. Do you have I, a I, I do. I have. I have both. I have a tape player and I have a CD player. That's incredible. Well, I'm 47, Kevin. Listen, you look phenomenal for the for for 47. There's some people look like shit. That's and true. And you know those people. I do. <laughs> I've been. I've been those people. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. It's like I always look at myself like you know, Kevin, for 31, you're doing really good because some people look not good. They haven't been taking care of themselves. So, where am I talking to you from? Where are you geographically right now? Atlanta, Georgia. 
Best city in the South. Shout it out is to actually. Stacey Abrams. It's your world, girl. Uh, it is a great city. And are you are you from Atlanta? I see, I feel like you're from somewhere mm-hmm. else. Yeah, I'm originally. I grew up in Tennessee, which um, like the boonies, Clarksville, Tennessee area. And then my my family all lives in Jackson, Tennessee now. And then I did high school and college in the Newport News, uh, Newport News, Williamsburg area. Yes. Yep. So the whole seven five seven. Then I was a missionary, and I ended up in Georgia. I'm gonna turn off that sound. Sorry. That's fine. Um, I ended up in Georgia. I think. When did I move here? It was June, January 2015. Yeah, January 2000. 20,000. 20, 20, Way too. Yeah, way in the future. Um, January 2015, I got to Georgia, but I was in Gainesville, Georgia, working for a missions organization. And then when I get kicked out of said missions organization, I ended up in Atlanta because I didn't have a choice. I was sleeping on an air mattress with my friend who was also an ex-missionary. Oh, wow. So we really, we had a good time. And by good time, I mean, like, I really hit rock bottom when I got here, but like <laughs> started from the bottom and now I'm queer. That's where, in the closet, not queer. Yeah, that's that's actually like the that's where the good times generally start. <laughs> it's rock, it's rock bottom. What do I have to lose? Nothing. Nothing. Oh Nothing. my gosh! I like. I think everybody should lose everything once in a while. If you, if you don't sell it, you should lose it. Absolutely. You know what they say in AA? If you can't, if you can take it or leave it, you can take it. But if you can't leave it, no. If you can't, if you can't leave it, you should. Yes. Um, is there a place in there that feels more like home for you? So like you, mm. and we're going to, we're going to come to like, uh, let's talk about like a general sense of place and you sure. call yourself a digital pastor and, mm. but like geographically, um, you have, I think, and tell me if I get these things wrong, I don't want to be assumptive, but I want to, I want to prod a little bit. Like you do have in your history, there are, you know, places over the course of your over your life where like particular stories happen in this town or mm-hmm. in this country and all of that has like this kind of emotional element to it are there places where you feel like this is more home this is not home i do feel home in atlanta like when you think of home like where does your heart go geographically or does it even matter mm-hmm. to you yeah i think right now home does feel like atlanta but i will say like home feels like at least especially for this year, um, my group of friends that I have, you know, they're the only people I've hung out with all year, pretty much. Like, we only go to hang out at each other's houses. We all work remotely or, you know, on frontline stuff. So we're all getting tested pretty regularly. But I have spent probably any free time or any time of hanging out, it's been with them. Every hard thing that's happened this year has been with them. Hmm. Um so right now, like I would say, like for the first time in a long time, that here feels like home. I, I ended up buying a house like, in Atlanta. In little, yeah, I bought a house, um, and just because, like, I, I think having a space to call my own that was, you know, comfortable. Like I don't know, it's the first time I've ever felt like I don't need to go anywhere. Hmm. And that feels that's a new sensation for me because I used to be very go, go, go. Yeah. And like I was only comfortable when I was on a plane to the next thing. Yes. And yeah. now it's like I can't wait for that again. I can't wait to go see everybody and all my people because, you know, I go to L.A. and I also still feel like home because it's hmm. like I've got a bunch of really good people. Yeah. And it's literally home is wherever my people are. Hmm. So I try to like wherever I go. I want to, like, I know that I carry home with me. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, You have friends all over the place, for the most Mm. part. Um, Yes. How do you you determine... um, You you talk a lot uh, to to folks who talk to you, folks who ask you questions. You get a lot of questions about safe people. You got a lot of questions about... um, Yeah, like safe people, safe, safe spaces. And like you said, like, that has mostly to do with the person you're with, how do you, for you determine like some metrics or some, some mm-hmm. guidelines, like who for, who for you is like, not just safe, but like good, healthy. Like how do you, like what metrics mm-hmm. do you use to say like, oh, this person is actually good for me 
as a mm-hmm. as a whole person like are there do you have particulars is it more of a feeling is yeah. it kind of an intuitive no. thing that you have to guide but are there specifics go ahead yeah i i have a couple of things and to be honest everything i learned about good communication i learned from reading um, about polyamory and non-monogamy because in those relationships your communication has to increase and your honesty has to be effortless like you have to get really fucking honest Hmm. and i think the thing that um you know myself like being somebody who's like queer like being non-monogamous or having open relationships is more common um at least where i am um but at all like the thing like even if you're not interested in non-monogamy the thing that we have to learn from these this incredible group of humans is what what would happen if i asked for what i really wanted and needed you know, what would happen? Hmm. Uh-huh. And so from that, I've come up with three rules for myself that has to do with like how I like measure how I'm doing in, in any given situation, whether it's relational, professional or otherwise. It's one. Um, it's more like a I call it a rule, but I try to say like it's the thing that I try to aspire to because I don't always do it perfectly. Right. No one does. That's good. One. I, I always can name what I'm feeling and I should name what I'm feeling and I know that I'm responsible for my feelings. So it's like, I don't put it on anybody else. I don't say you did, you caused me to feel this. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, yes, if you did something abusive to me, that's data and I need to move away from that because it made me feel bad, but I'm still responsible for the feeling. What do I want to do with it? You know, do I want to process this healthfully or do I want to become bitter with it? Hmm. Responsible for my feelings. And so the second part is I name my needs and I also know that I'm responsible for getting my needs met. So if I want love, for example, from this person, we'll use my dad, for example, not a really great guy, spent my entire life before he died trying to ask for love from him and he could never give it in the way that I needed it. So what do I need to do? I need to go find love. Who do I find love from? From people who have it, Hmm. from people who want to give it to me rather than like begging for it. So I just ask for it because like the worst thing that someone can say, this leads to the next part. If I want something, I can always ask for what I want because I can always be okay with hearing no. Because hmm. if someone said, if I ask for love and even, even if that's a need and a want, if they're the same thing, if someone doesn't have it for me, they can't give it to me. And so that's data for me to respond to because I am responsible for the feeling it creates within me. I am, you see how it kind of like plays in on it. Yeah, that's good. Um, so that's for me, like how I roll with that. And so as far as like metrics are concerned, it's like, do I want to be in this relationship with this person is a really good one. And if it's not a fuck, yes, it's a fuck. No. Like, do I enjoy being around them? Are they fun or is it more taxing? Hmm. You know, is being around this person, am I trying to in any way impress them? Am I trying to, do I change when I'm around them? So I just ask myself, how weird can I be around them? And if I can be really fucking weird around them and they're not, you know, going off the walls or trying to control the energy of the room, you know, if they are, you know, if, I hate saying if we vibe. Yeah. But it's one of those things where I'm looking for somebody who doesn't need anything from me. Yeah. They don't. So and I don't need anything from them. We just like each other and we want to be around each other. Um, and the and now granted, not, not to say that we can't lean on one another and ask for what we need. Because like oftentimes, because of the love I have for someone, I have it to give. That's how friendship works. It comes from, you know, mutuality, reciprocity. And I think those are, that's the, that's two big things, mutuality, reciprocity. And if it comes to a point where I'm giving too much of myself or they, you know, they're crossing a boundary that I have, you know, that I've set out for them, then I know that my relationship with them has to change. And I often put it that way. Like if I, it's like a, a boundary thing, I'll say like, hey, I need X from you in this relationship. Yes. Um, and if I can't get that, then our relationship is going to have to change. Hmm. And that's all I say. And it's that's it's good. nothing, it's it's not a threat. It's just saying like, okay, then I'm going to have to reconsider like what I'm doing here. Yeah. You know, because at the end of the day, if a, if a relationship is not mutual, if it's not fun and if I don't want to be in it, I'm not going to do it. I want to do a thing that um, I'll do with uh, probably about half my guests at this point. Uh, and mm. usually I do a bit later in the conversation, but I think, uh, I think it'd be helpful. Actually, I know it'd be helpful, and I know you'd be good at it. It's, it's kind of a game. It's not a game game. 
Yeah. Um, but a it's thought experiment, perhaps. It's ish. Yeah. So it's it's this kind of practice of lexicon that when mm-hmm. um, when you say certain words, you mean certain things. And I think you and I will right. probably be on the same page here. That language, one of the beauties of language, and particularly English, is its mm-hmm. fluidity. Is that um, there's a range of meanings that we can have given a particular word in it in various settings and that mm. like it it's not a matter of like language is meaningless it's just like the application of a particular word in a particular setting it really can be different and some of those differences some of those nuances are vital that if we if we're saying a thing we're not totally understanding where we're coming from or not clear about where we're coming from it changes the nature of the conversation you you mm-hmm. are uh, not just as an author, but as, as a communicator, part of what makes what you're doing important and vital to folks is you are trying to reset the way folks understand certain mm. words. It's not yes. just it's not it's not just a matter of like, hey, think differently somewhere in your head. No, the words you're using, I want you to know what you mean by this. Mm-hmm. Like you'll you'll grab a hold of a word in some in conversation with someone, and you'll do this in your Q and A's a lot. Is you'll grab a hold of a word that someone someone's put on the table, and you'll kind of hand it back to them after you've picked it up and played with it a little bit and say how about you think about this this way and it's about the actual mm. word so what i want to do is i want i'm going to throw a few some of these are really big i'm okay. gonna throw i'm just gonna put some oh, words on the exciting. table this good is very exciting for me <laughs> yeah you'll be great at this um i want to throw a few words at you some of them are words that you will use that other folks that uh a good portion of my audience won't be familiar with at all. Some of them will be words that really are. And all I want you to do is just whatever pops in your head. It could be, here's a definition. This is my definition of this word. Or it could be, here's a story that like jumps up mm-hmm. into my throat the moment I hear this word. Whatever it oh, is that kind of, cool. whatever, whatever the word draws out of you, I just want you to spend some time cool. with that word. And I'm going to start really big and right. talk about love. <sighs> Good answer. Next word. Yeah. Um, exactly. Right. No, talk exactly. about <laughs> talk about love, Kevin. Oh man. Um, you know, the good book says that the good book. Uh the Bible says that God is love. And I think it's such a simple it's it looks so simple and it like it's just people don't know how to apply it, you know. Um, because love is one of those like ineffable things, like even, you know, all the Greek words for the different kinds of love that we pick up from, you know, scripture and from, you know, even languages across the world, none of it really hits the nail on the head quite yet. It's a Hmm. thousand different things. Right. And so what I think is, um, what I think love is, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Um, I, w- I think God is love. I think love is God. I think the feeling I have towards my mother, uh, you know, the fond feelings I have towards her. And also just like, I think that's God. I think the fondness I have towards my friends and the love that we share. I think the relationship between us, that's God. I think anytime I've seen a sunrise and just been awe inspired by nature, that's God. Hmm. I think that anytime that I've been able to take a breath and return back to peace, that peaceful feeling. I think the peaceful feeling is God. Hmm. I think anytime I've given myself a kind word, um, anytime I have chosen better for myself and been really proud of myself, I think that's, you know, I think that's God. Hmm. And I think God is love. And I think those are all different experiences of love, you know? Yeah. So Uh, yeah, that's what I would say about that. That's good. Initially. That's good. And then, um, Talk about religion then. Mm. Religion at, um, I mean, religion at its highest levels, um, that Richard Rohr says this a lot, that religion at its highest levels all points to the same thing. And I would take it a step further to say that religion and psychotherapy at the, at their highest points are the same thing as well. Hmm. Because the whole thing is to try to like unpack, get to the point of being okay with not knowing you know, at its highest point, unfortunately, you know, when a religion becomes, um, uh, rigid and you know, the practices don't become fluid anymore, because I think that like religion in some way also really relates very much to people group and cultural identity. Um, and so in some ways, like the fact that I still intended church kind of some, some ways, like I participate in the Christian religion of my heritage, uh, you know, just loosely, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then that's the same way that a lot of my Jewish friends participate with their Jewish faith. It's just like, this is what my people do. Hmm. Um, and for some people, they're able to still engage with it in a certain way. And other pe people need to find new ways, you know, because at the end of the day, if, you know, if those stories aren't serving you anymore, if those stories aren't, if those stories are tainted for you because, you know, you suffered abuse at the hands of the evangelical church, well, then maybe, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about reclaiming and changing language, right? Hmm. Because the metaphors themselves that come from religion, and they're all metaphors, um, are helpful. We just have to, like, disentangle them from the bullshit that we were handed. Hmm. So religion in and of itself is not the problem. It's just when you think that your religion is the only one, hmm. you know? So it's it's not it's, religion is not a problem. Religion is just a, a set of systems and a, a set of protocols or a set of modalities for you know communing with that thing that we we call love, or God or the the universe, whatever, whatever language you like for it. Mm -hmm. Talk about uh, you used the word earlier, polyamory. Yeah. What is polyamory? Polyamory is the relational practice. It just comes from the words poly, meaning many, and amor, meaning love, many loves. So a person who is polyamorous, um, again, it's kind of as different as the individual. Um, I would consider myself uh, possibly, po like I, I think there's potential in me to like fall in love with multiple people, maybe. Um, and people in polyamorous relationships, um, have all sorts of arrangements like you know some people it's just like yeah you can have sex with whoever you want to um and we can have sex with other people together sometimes but as far as like a, a partnership a love you know a family that's just you and me we're building a family together um some people have multiple partners with whom they're building lives together you know throubles and you know different constellations of people um there are as many ways to be polyamorous as there are polyamorous people practicing Wow, it's a lot of P sounds. <laughs> um, but it's one of the, I think the main uh, thing that people have to remember is that polyamory and polygamy are two different things. Polygamy is when one man has multiple wives and is like, you know, lording over them in some way. And not maybe even lording, but just like it is one man plus many wives and oftentimes has to do with a difference in power structure and within the relationship. And within polyamory, it demands the equity between all people in the relationship that everybody is allowed to ask for what they want and get their needs met. Hmm. Um, and so this is also another one of, the, one of the places I got the rule of asking for what I want because I'm always OK with hearing no, because I read a book called More Than Two. And they said, if you can get comfortable with asking for what you want and being OK with hearing no, you will literally save yourself so much grief. And that is true in the bedroom, in relationships, platonic or otherwise. Ask for what you want. Be okay with hearing no. Surrender your outcomes and know that your self-worth is not wrapped up in anybody else. That's the thing. Non-monogamy requires you to love yourself the most and to love yourself and take care of yourself so that you actually have the capacity to love to the level that you want to. Because if you're not taking care of yourself, if you are... Not healthy, because like there's plenty of non-monogamous people and polyamorous people who are shitbags. You know, we don't get exempt just because we, you know, have sex with more people, you know. And it doesn't mean that people aren't using sex as a way of running away from their problems. Same problems play, play polyamorous people as non as monogamous people. So it's like it's just a different way of moving in the world. The difference is like you you, you all you would be monogamous people are cheating on each other rather than just asking for what you want. We're actually asking for what we want and getting it. What a fucking concept. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry to get a little sassy there on the end, but just like people, <laughs> people like this, like, oh, you're just wanting a whole bunch of sex. And I'm just like, and what's wrong with that? Hmm. You know, now granted, I haven't had sex for a while because COVID times, but listen, you, when there's a vaccine in the world, I'm going to, <laughs> whoo, Jesus is a way maker. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Well, let's come back to that. Talk about Jesus. I love Jesus. Oh, man. Um, I believe that Jesus was a real ass human. And I believe that Jesus is still with us in whatever ways that dead people can still be with us. Hmm. Um, I mean, because like if we the book of Acts tells us that Jesus appeared to 500 disciples at once. That doesn't make any fucking sense. And also, why did we ignore that? 
Hmm. You're telling me that Jesus appeared in multiple places at the same time to multiple people, meaning they all had this weird divine revelation of Christ. We don't hear about those 500 people. Right. Where did they go? Yeah. You know, what did they do? What was the gospel that they were meant to carry? Also, what if Jesus is still appearing to us today? And, you know, we would say that they, they Jesus did in the lives of so many saints and stories and all these fantastical things. And I would say that I walk with him and I talk with him and he tells me I am his own. You know, Jesus, like, why not believe that Jesus is my brother and walking with me? Like, that makes total and complete sense. Mm -hmm. We think we talk to I talk to my dead dad all the time. You know, I talk to my dead grandma all the time when I look at their pictures on my ofrenda. You know, it's no different. Like, it's just that Jesus is like, you know, he represents for us our own ability to overcome our own bullshit, our own ability, like our ability to heal ourselves. And when we heal ourselves, we have the capacity to heal everything around us. Jesus is a friend. Jesus is, uh, you know, the marker of all human potential. You know, and, uh, you know, people would say that he was an ascended master. People would say that he was a fictional character. And I would also say that it doesn't matter who Jesus was. It just matters who he is now. And I think he's still living because every time I take this bread and drink this cup, I proclaim his death until he comes. Mm -hmm. Mm. Come on, somebody. That's good. Uh, in the direction of health, talk about mental health. Mm. Um. Here's another thing I would wager. I would say that religion and psychotherapy at their highest points are the same thing. Hmm. Because what are we trying to do? What are we trying to get past? It's we're trying to uh, find inner peace, right? By one way, one by hook or by crook, we're trying to find inner peace. And if that's what we're making our goal, I think that's what people miss. They say, I want to feel love. I'm just like, mm, what does love feel like? I think it feels like peace. And I also, it can feel like a bazillion other things, but all those things are very temperamental, right? Um, but being able to con to cultivate peace and contentment and also deep compassion for the self, um, that's what religious practices can do. And that's also what good mental health needs. Like, you know, I think mental health is good spiritual health. Like the hmm. mental health is just like how I treat myself, right? How How am I doing? How am I feeling? And so like, People who say, oh, yeah, I talk shit to myself all the time. I'm like, well, it's no wonder like mm -hmm. that you think God doesn't like you. Like you don't even like you. How could you even imagine that God loved you if you don't love you? Mm -hmm. And how do you know that you love you? Signs do not precede anything. Signs come up from what's actually there. Like, you know, it's not like, like the reason we know the earth is burning up is because the earth is burning. Like literally mm -hmm. so many fires, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing with us. Like. The fruit comes from a tree that is grown, not from the seed. Hmm. It's good. And so it's like, look at your own life. You know, if you're, if you are having troubles like consistently and you don't understand why, it might be because you don't understand your habits and patterns and a good mental health professional. Cause a lot of times we get hung up on the why, why do I keep doing these things? Why do I keep self-sabotaging? Why do I struggle with the same, uh, belief? or thoughts of, um, of ill will towards myself. That's good. And, uh, I would say, stop it, you know, <laughs> stop it. First of all, just like notice is like, just yes. begin to notice. And that's the beginning of it. If you can notice that you're having trouble and you need to like, ask for help, like sometimes this is why we need one another, because oftentimes if we if we've been told our entire life that we're horrible then our subconscious has believed that we're horrible this entire time it takes a lot of conscious programming to change the subconscious which is what really needs to be changed all the thoughts that are going on below the surface hmm. and so we change the subconscious through conscious practice through showing up to our therapy sessions and talking it out and confessing when we fuck it up to our friends or to one another and taking responsibility for our happiness for once and stop you know we know that on some level, yes, we're not, this is something I say to my clients, you're not responsible for your trauma. You are responsible for your healing. Your trauma is not your fault. Your responsibility is in your healing though. Like, what do you want to do? Do you want to continue to suffer or not? Nah? Because there are ways to change. And it might be a super big fat struggle for the rest of your life. I've got friends 
who are so clinically depressed and every single day that they are stay alive is a win for them. Yeah. And you know what? That's better than what they were feeling before. Yep. That's good. And that's what I'm going for. I want to transition a little bit away from that game, but I want to do so by kind of by asking you to, to dig into a couple words. You call yourself a digital pastor. I want to. I, I would like to hear you talk about not just mm-hmm. the word pastor, but your role. Um, pastor is a hell of a word to use in, mm-hmm. in in general. People don't like it either when I, say, when I say. pastor. I know. I know they don't. And so, pastor is a hell of a word for you to choose. It's a hell of a word to use in general. I would suggest it, this is my experience because I like I served. Uh, I consider myself a pastor still. You know, I 20 years with, you know, two different denominations and you know, closer to evangelical and mainstream culture. Like, I would say even in that context, using the word pastor is mm-hmm. it's a hell it's, of a, it's a hell of a thing. It's weird for people. It's weird for me. Like, it comes with all the stuff. I asked Jen Hatmaker, you know, last year, the year before, like, you know, if you could like summarize all of what you do into a particular role. She said, I'm a pastor. And like, wow, that's like it, it encapsulates so much. So for yeah. you, you you call yourself. You say, I'm a digital pastor. I want to talk about digital in a minute, but specifically mm-hmm. that like the emotional social posture that you live in. Like, why the word pastor? Why is that important? And how does it look for you to do? I would say, on the one hand, on some level, it's not important because um, I like the word specifically because of what it entails. Like when you think of a pastor, I mean, some people will think of it and they're triggered and they think this person is bound to betray me. Um, But on the other hand, that's not, you know, pastor, to be pastoral is to be a shepherd, is to help, you know, I don't want to say guide sheep um, because it's like those, but at least it's like guide a flock of people or at least like provide shelter for a group of people, provide some kind of structure Hmm. for this flock to exist within. And if they go wandering off, like, you know, you know, maybe they'll wander super far and I'll never find them. However, like, you know, we set this space and I think Christ and the spirit call people in, chase after us that way. And sometimes we take up that role ourselves to go chase after others. Hmm. But oftentimes, like, you know, a sheep's not going to go where it doesn't want to go. Right. So you just really have to set the stage for it. And it's the same thing with, I think, pastors is like a pastor's role is not to dole out healing and just like to give the healing. It's to give the opportunity and the space and the structure for people to start the healing process themselves. Hmm. And so I, I, there's, that's a couple, that's one of the roles of a pastor. Right. And so when I started thinking about what I wanted to do, quote unquote, do, um, especially cause I started graduate school two years ago, I started in pursuing an MDiv cause I wanted to be a pastor TM on the classical understanding of pastor right. being in a parish of some kind. Right. Um, and then as I was going through, I realized I'm just like, in order for me to do that, I have to assent to a lot of things. I have to like, let go of like, that I'm not going to have control that I'm working within a system and a form. And that system and form is helpful for many people, but I was kept questioning. I'm just like, but is it helpful for me? Hmm. And the more, and is it helpful for the people that I know that I can reach and want to serve? Not always. Hmm. Um, and so towards like, uh, halfway through my program, I switched and truly by a luck of like literally the spirit lined it up apparently. Cause like I accidentally took all the courses needed to get this other degree. <laughs> uh, the first That's year, really, all the requirements, really good. I'm so serious. Every single requirement that I would have had to take in my second year, I just accidentally took it my first year. Wow. And so I just, did my program in reverse um, of what they recommended and it was perfect. Yeah. Probably, so just, been, luck. probably just luck. Yeah. Shout out, shout out <laughs> okay. um, to whatever random fate out there. It was just uh-huh. like, mm, you might like this. I don't know. Um, but as uh, towards the end of it, like towards the end of my uh, graduate program, COVID hit and we went digital for the last six weeks. And so it kind of clicked there. Like somebody online on Twitter just said, Oh my gosh, you're kind of like my digital pastor. And I'm like, you know, that's kind of, that, that's good. Like I want to, cause like my memories of pastor, like I automatically think of my uncle who was the pastor at our church growing up and he had all these incredible stories and connections and the way he talked about God was, Oh my God, he's a, he's still 
uh, mm, let me rephrase. I think he's a fine pastor. I think he's a fine preacher now. I think he needs to read something other than Max Lucado, but, you know, go off this. Um, but I, I don't know. It just, it's, I think of a, a pastor and a preacher, like a preacher is also in there, but it's not in my Twitter bio. Right. But at least pastor. Um, I think it's somebody who is helping provide a little bit of structure along the way to not, and also to be able to fail in public. Like, I think that's something that pastors don't, especially celebrity pastors don't want to do well or don't know how to do well. Yeah. That's and, a hell of a, also, and that's part of what makes it a hell of a thing is you, and, and I like the way you, the story you just told that someone else said, Hey, you're kind of like my pastor or even the, it might've even said like, you're my digital pastor mm-hmm. to be named that by mm-hmm. the folks around you is one thing to to grab that thing and say i am a pastor mm-hmm. is a very different thing like there there's like there's a way in which i don't like i'm not exactly sure how this plays out and, and it may be very different from person to person i'm mm-hmm. not so sure it is but there's a way in which there are certain names that like we get to carry that have to be bestowed onto us so we don't just get mm. to i don't just get to claim this for myself i don't get to say right. pastor in the same way maybe this is true for 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 a lot of folks, I don't know if you get to just say dad. I don't know if you get to just say mm, I'm on. Like, I think that's a thing that is bestowed onto you by folks who receive you in that way. Mm-hmm. And you, yeah, you do have to you do have to hold it and you have to brace it and you can work towards it. But like there's something about the word pastor and about the role mm-hmm. pastors like, hey, that's not actually up to you. Like you might have yeah. the degree, you might have done the you know, the the, the scholastic that. work, but no one receives you that way. Yeah. And it's also to, to, to realize that, um, the, the role of pastor like is so prevalent throughout so many different communities. We just call it very different things. You know, the person Mm -hmm. within, you know, who is like the, the one family friend who's always been there for you for whatever reason, you know, your, uh, the way, you know, I think that, uh, teachers are pastors to these kids, right? Mm-hmm. You know, teaching them, like giving them some structure in in which they could possibly flourish. Now, granted, the American education system is, you know, fucked. But um, in in some ways, I feel like we like there's uh, you know, there's that old thing as somebody's always watching you, right? Somebody's yeah. always watching what you're doing, and not that that should like put pressure on anybody to like perform or be better. It's just like. You think that you're just a piece of shit, but somebody looks at you and sees a better way of living. Yes. Somebody does. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there are some ways in which there, the, the exchange of power, and there's a whole conversation here about like power and identity, but there's a mm-hmm. way in which like the exchange of power like does kind of forge humanity and identity that like that, a, uh, I coach a, 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 a couple who they live up in North, like further Northern California mm. and they've been really reticent to identify themselves as pastors. But mm. part of what they recognized, cause I mean, that's institutionally they function there. They're looking for all these other titles, but part of what they recognize is like, there's this relinquishing of power and they were just hyper responsible. That was the thing is they were just so responsible. They wanted to do the thing. Well, they didn't want to just call themselves these things. But like you know, the, the folks around them kept identifying them this way, kept like mm-hmm. receiving them this way, and at some point they had to let go, and that's a power question. Yeah. Had to let go. Like if you see and receive me this way, then maybe that is actually who I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same way that like, on the flip side of that, there is this dark side <laughs> to the to the to the execution of that power, that the expectation that comes with the word pastor. Right. Posits posits whole cultures and whole communities of people in vulnerability that then like a really Machiavellian douchebaggery human can manipulate and and injure like their like identity power. The word pastor just like it it posits some really delicate and really vital um, relationships that like, gosh. You got to be really responsible to and for that. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I believe is missing from kind of a lot of, I mean, like Christian, the Christian megaplex power, like, you know, the Christian, what do they call it? The Christian industrial complex. Yeah. Is that it's an occupation for many. 
The mega and, the megaplex sounds like the place I'm going to go. I might get some I, like I get some shoes, also, um, also some groceries, and and maybe even go to the movies. Could be there's that's probably, the mega, probably the a Christian, small theater in there. The too. Christian megaplex. Yeah, and they're only showing <laughs> Veggie Tales reruns. Which hey, um, let's run. I'm in. Listen, um, but I think that's the, what I something I picked up from my old church, which is um, uh. I hate using the word authority. It's an authority question, right? And I think what I picked up from my old church way back in the day is, I was like, you need to have somebody in your life that you're, you will listen to their no. Someone mm. who you trust, somebody who is truly loving you, who is, you know, has your best interest at heart that you're going to listen to when they tell you, hey, slow down here. And I think that's wise. Not all the time, not in a manipulative way, because the way it was done on me was, when I was starting my coming out process, my pastor was just like, remember that conversation? I'm telling you, no, I don't think you should do this. And so like, it was ingrained in me to listen to that. Hmm. But on the other side of this, it's what you said. It's that expectation that I feel very free from. Hmm. Because at the end of like, the expectation, you know, I can hear, like, I want to hear everyone's opinion. And then I also know that like, I don't have to accept every opinion. However, it's like you said, if so many people are saying something to you, it might be true. Yes. You know, you need to really like look at the data, try to see it as objectively as possible. And if there's someone in your life who loves you enough to tell you the truth and can say, yeah, that's really true, then in any direction, good, bad or otherwise. Yeah. You know, you can start to say, all right, if that's true, is that a good thing? Do I like that? Yes. Do I want it to continue to be true? Then go with it. And it comes with like, uh, I'm, I have people in my life who tell me no, who say, Kevin, you were an asshole to that person on the internet and you need to go apologize. And so, or, Hey, Kevin, you did something racist by the way. And this is the reason why you need to change that. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not, but the thing is, I'm not afraid of being wrong. Hmm. That's the difference. And that's also the, the problem with like, you know, who is it? Carl Lentz, you know, no, no Tino shade. It's like, what you did was wrong. You know, you lied to and cheated on your wife. Uh, but also, I think it's amazing in the worst way that there is an environment that pushed you to lie about your needs. You thought that you couldn't ask for what you wanted or needed or what was, you couldn't name what was going on in your heart and it caused you to act outside of your integrity. That's like, you gotta look at the environment as well as the, the action. Just like, so like if you're doing something again and again and again, then anyways, let me not go down that. It's like, a healthy environment is going to allow you to like to fuck up and come back but also like it it asks you to be accountable to your, those actions like yes and that's the thing is there is i don't know it's not that there's like a lack of accountability there's a lack of accountability up yes, there the definitely You used a phrase that actually leads me right to the next, the, the sort of the first bit of the digital pastor title, which you talked about healthy environments. Right. So um, I'm fascinated by and deeply invested in the digital world and the way relationships happen online. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's real. So like, I've, there are some things I do that I've come it to, is. the things I've come to now that it used to be the case that folks would wonder like, are online relationships real? And I do think they are. And I don't yes. think that's questionable. I do think minds change. I do think souls are shaped. I don't mm -hmm. I don't buy yet like the overwhelmingly negative analysis of uh, of life online and online platforms. I know that's like the trend. I'm right now I'm reading the new um new book by Cal. Oh gosh, what's his name? Not Cal Ripken. Um <laughs> Cal uh, Ripken Jr. Cal Ripken Jr. Cal Newport's uh, newer book called Digital Minim Digital Minimalism, um, and it's like it really is. It's a call to like peel back, use it less, go there less. Um, mm -hmm. And like I'm engaged with all this stuff because so much of our lives are lived there, and I and right. I and and I don't think that's a COVID era thing. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think that's oh. I think it's real, and I think it's real on on uh, in a lot of ways, and it, it actually kind of blows my mind that from the standpoint of like of of leadership and culture making there's so little conversation about how to do this well mm -hmm. whereas there's so much conversation about how to avoid 
mistakes. Like it's right. it's very puritanical in the sense of like, hey, this is primarily corrupt. So how do you do this without getting distorted? Ends up being a Ooh. lot. Of, yes and i don't read and i don't buy that i think facebook is 16 Mm -hmm. years old and as a teenager i was an emotional wreck and didn't have the maturity to hold like long-term relationships let's take some time and be you know i don't know leaders (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and figure out how to do the thing yeah so your experience uh online Mm -hmm. there's there's a good bit of damage to be done there's a good bit of damage that's been done. There's also a great deal of opportunity. Can you just talk a little bit about your history? Uh, right. You you are actually one of the brave folks who uh, you spend time on Instagram, which tends to be a little safer, tends to be a little like a little bit friendlier, mm-hmm. kind of like a lot more upside, a little bit more connectivity. But you also spend a good amount of time on Twitter. Twitter's the place where like if there's a threat, like Twitter's the place where like that happens a lot, like mm-hmm. so right. much vitriol. You're yeah. there. You're both places. You hang out a lot. Just talk about your history, and then and, and talk about what it looks like for you to pastor digitally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I've been on Twitter since I had a flip phone and tweeted to text or t- texted to tweet. Yeah, um, and got text alerts. Um, so I've been on a long time. Back in high school, same thing with Instagram. As soon as you could have an Instagram, I had one. Had back with those nasty like nine filters that they had. That's right. Ugh. Man, how the times have shifted. Yeah, thank goodness. Now we're taking our selfies with a DSLR. Lulz. Um, But you are absolutely correct is that, um, and here's also like fun science to go with this. Actually, the last part of my degree, I actually did like a whole bunch of research on uh, communication styles and what we are like, what happens in the brain and in the body in digital spaces. Because... The brain doesn't know the difference between Mm. digital space and physical space. So like that vitriol that you experience on those digital spaces is still happening to your body because the brain doesn't know the difference and therefore it's going to set off all of the things it needs to do in the body to stay safe. Hmm. Um, And so that's one thing. It's just there is no difference to the brain. So might as well just take that as a fact. Um, There is arguments, like you said, on both sides where – we're arguing for like what kind of human connection is. And so it's like, if your entire world is lived online and the life you live online is completely different than your actual life, then the problem is not necessarily that you don't have a connection problem. You have a lying problem. You don't like yourself apparently. Mm. And so it's like, you know, if you are only putting up that, which is shiny. And also we have to recognize that's what we're conditioned to do. Hmm. We're conditioned to give them just the, the 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 Instagram highlight reel. We're not conditioned to to be there. So that's one thing is that there needs to be a shift away from the thought that like, you know, and I think everyone talks about it all the time. People are only showing you their highlights, but we really have to get that in our bones that like, this is our highlight reel, you know? Hmm. And if that's the highlight reel, we have to recognize what are our highlights that we have too, rather than longing for someone else's highlights. We have them. We just aren't trained to see them. Hmm. Um, so that's one that's one aspect. But the the, the the people will say like the communication aspect is different or not as good. But according to the data, which is researched in a really phenomenal book called it's by Nancy Bayum, can't remember. Okay. But look up Nancy Bayum, B-A-Y-U-M. But she also has a lecture out there. Um, and if you remind me, I'll send it to you. Yes, please. But basically the data says, suggests that as far as quality of communication between face-to-face communication, phone audio conversation, uh, online text conversation, um, or, or SMS texting. Overall, people reported that the quality of communication was pretty much the same across the board, like the highest score in like face-to-face communication for obvious reasons. Yep. But as far as like being, feeling connected to people, people are definitely feeling connected across digital space and that's self-reporting. People don't have a reason to lie about that. Yeah. Um, which is so, like, that's one of those nuances, not one of those, it's one of those like hitches with folks are like, yeah, I just feel like Facebook, uh, like I feel like, you know, people, uh, what, what's the phrase? It's something like, uh, it, it facilitates like falsehood. And I'm like, have you been to the bar scene? Cause hey. 
Like, have you, like, have you been around? Like, have you not been to a conference? Like, and, and walked around with folks whose name tags read things that aren't actually true about their career and life? Like, what do you mean it facilitates falsehood more so? Like, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not so sure that's true. Yeah, because really, again, the signs don't precede anything. The signs are of the times. So if people, like, what is it in our culture that is leading people to, you know, you know, facetune their selfies that's leading people mm. to misrepresent themselves or leading them to only open up online within like, you know, you know, those people who are like over overshare all the time, constantly spilling out their emotions as a way to get attention in some way because they don't know how to get it any other way. You know, it's like, what is it about the culture or the situation that has created the action? Because everything is just, I'm not getting my needs met, hmm. you know? I'm not, there's something that I want that I don't know how to ask for because I've been told if I ask for it, I will be punished because I'm just supposed to be happy or I'm just supposed to be able to get over it. And so I think what I really enjoy doing in digital space as a digital pastor is being able to tell folks, I'm just like, hey, uh, if you feel like shit, it's totally fine, one, because that's how this whole thing was designed. <laughs> right, yes. So like, it's not. it's no wonder you feel like shit things are really shitty right now. So why don't you have a little bit of grace for yourself and just ask the question of like, how are we gonna return to peace? Hmm. What are we gonna do to return to love? How am I gonna be gentle with myself? Um, and this kind of comes back to good mental health is like realizing that while digital space and digital stuff, like it's real, but it's not the only thing that's real. That's good. And that to me is really important. And my hope is and I, I th I'm so excited about the vaccine. Come, come quickly, Lord Jesus, with a vaccine and stick it in my neck, um, like a puppy. <laughs> just gonna, I, like a puppy, oh. just gonna stick it in your neck like a puppy. <laughs> gonna grab you at the scruff of the neck and yeah, inject this in you. Yeah, or like you know, you know, put in. I I'm not. I almost said something else, but it wouldn't have sounded great. <laughs> and I know what you were thinking too. Um, anyways, uh, yeah. I, I'm excited about the world opening up again because I think what's been really incredible is like I have seen like I've seen the ways that digital community can start to being formed because like within the past year, like my platform has doubled, almost tripled in size. And that's not an exaggeration. Mm -hmm. And I look at that and I'm like, oh, okay, so there's something here. Like we mm -hmm. we've we've touched something. And so now what I'm hoping is like as we're you know, learning how to take care of ourselves in every single space when we do come together, which I hope will be in. I love live events. I miss them. I'm ready to go to a conference. Yep. Um, I'm ready to go to camp. Um, you know, I'm ready to, to be with people again, because I really do think that there, as much as we can do amazing digital work online and as evidenced through like my own work with my clients, like you can have incredibly powerful experiences on a zoom call. <laughs> You know, you can like, it's, it's just as real as being in the room. Cause again, the brain doesn't know the difference. Right. And so it excites me to be in the same place because there's something about physically being together and doing things like singing, yeah. doing things like giving people a fucking hug, yeah. you know, bread and wine. There's just something about the physical thing that we need. And yeah. I... And that's not to say that the digital is different or bad or worse. It just is. And we can, we can stop judging it. Well, let's wrap it up this way. And um, I, I was challenged a number of years ago to think about my long term um, by a, a mentor who uh, basically like, well, there's a, there's a bunch of a story here. Like he put me up in front of a group of folks, singer, songwriter, cat. I was at an industry thing. And, you know, all the label heads get up and they're like, this is my artist and she's the greatest thing ever. And that's not what no. that's not what my label person said. My label person said, like, this is Justin McRoberts. He's not that great right now, <laughs> is what he said. That was, the, that was my setup. <laughs> Legitimately. I'm standing behind him with a guitar. Literally standing behind him. I have no idea what he's doing. And he said, this is oh, Justin McRoberts. God. We're going to be focusing on Justin uh, for this year. And I'll be honest, he's not that great right now. And then he said this, he said, but I would guess that most of the artists who are here this morning probably won't be playing music three years from now because this is yeah. hard. 
I think Justin will be making music 15 years from now and it'll be really good. I'm making a long-term investment and if you make it with me, great. And if you don't, I don't care. And then he walked off the stage. And I was like, hi. I love that pitch. Okay, honestly, honestly, like, and what it did is it reframed a few things for me. It was like uh, my successes and my failures were framed by a long-term vision. And like we said earlier, like someone bestowed that onto me. There's no way at 20, whatever it was, uh, at years of age, I would have been like, yeah, I'm thinking of myself 15 years. But this this dude said, I'm thinking about who you are 15 years from now. Like someone put that on me and it, and it reoriented everything. When you wow. think about your life 15 years from now, if, if the plans you have and the dreams you have, if the schemes you've got, the, you know, if like your next book, if the stuff you do works, like actually works mm. the way you want it to, what is your life like? What is the world around you like 15 years from now? If everything you do works the way you hope it does for the benefit of those you actually love, what does your world yeah. look like and what do you look like 15 years from now? Uh, okay. I, I actually can picture it quite clearly because I actually I kind of think about this a lot of like what do I – what's the kind of life I want to be living and – um. The word that comes to mind first is ease. Hmm. I like I like the the sense of ease that I've cultivated now. I can't wait to feel it like what it's going to be like in 15 years. You know, of just like consistent practice. So I think like this past 2 years of creating a, a consistent meditation and yoga practice has changed my life forever and like my body is different. Um so hopefully I look um uh, you know, I'll be what, 47, 46 in 15 years. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I want to be sexier. Like I want to look really hot one. I think that's a, a big goal of any like gay man. We just want to like, we want to get older and hotter. That's really what we want. <laughs> that's the gay agenda. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but as far as like other things are concerned, the sense of ease is something I, I want. I, I want to be talking on big stages. I want to, I want to have like three, three or four books out by then. At least, you know, I want at least two to be on that New York times bestseller list. I want to, you know, go on tour with Oprah and talk about these really crazy ideas. I want, uh, more people to listen to the podcast and say, Oh my God, I never thought that faith could look like this. Hmm. Um, and it, I know that sounds like, oh, you want to be rich and famous. I'm just like, uh, you know, like that'll come with the territory. But the real thing that I care about is like what I'm experiencing in my everyday life and the spirituality and the spiritual practices I'm teaching people. Mm -hmm. People are getting set free. People are making progress in literally weeks instead of months or years. And I'm really, really passionate about people finding their healing today. Mm. Because guess what? Jesus came and said, he's like, listen, do you want to get well? And literally, if he's, if you say yes, there's something to be done about it. And I'm so sick of people like, like giving away their power. I want, I want it like 15 years from now. I want there to have been a revival that happened. You know, I want there. Yeah. And by revival, I mean a revival of the moral imagination. Like I want to be somebody who is like, as you know, I want to be a, the, one of the William Barbers of the world. You know, being able to stand up on a stage and say, listen, certain things are wrong and need to change. Not because, uh, you know, it's it's almost just like we're so tired of like putting fault on people and yeah. just like we're ready to put the fault on the system and tear it down. I'm ready for that. And so in 15 years, I want to feel good. I want to still be enjoying what I'm doing. I want to be able to like, I want to be able to like disappear for six months. Like I really do want to go off the grid. For like six months and like go to a forest and get off social media, get someone else to manage my social media or something. Yeah. I don't know. But like I am um, 15 years from now, I probably will get certified to do yoga just because I want to, among other things, books. But, uh, you know, I, there, I joke with people that like I wonder if I'll accidentally start like a Christian do not like, you know, some sort of like Christian offshoot movement. And I'm just like, well, I don't hate that idea. I think that'd be kind of cool. Not a cult though. Like I don't like, 
cult so they give like oh you're gonna start a cult i'm like as somebody who like was literally kind of in one yeah no no, no. i want to i want to i want to teach something that'll set people free that's what i want to do that's good does that make sense it oh, makes I it's like a beautiful be i'd like to have a big dog i'd like to have a tiny <laughs> house somewhere else i'd like tiny to have house a big dog Tiny house, big dog. And if and that's not one of the names of the books, long term, tiny house, big dog, I'm I will personally be disappointed. I feel like that's got to be a thing for you. I think that's probably going to be like later in life my tell all. That's it. Tiny house, tiny house, tiny big, house dog. big dog. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I like that. Thanks for mar- marketing tip. And you got it. Me later. Awesome. Oh, Kevin, thank you for your time. This is wonderful. I've had such a blast with you. You're so wonderful. You're a great presence on the internet. You're very, very handsome. And I like you so much. Thanks, Kevin. We'll talk again soon. In the park near my house is a series of trails that intersect a small creek in a few spots. And in the winter, that creek rises and it's almost impossible to cross at one location. So a few years ago, someone built a bridge over that spot. They saw a problem and they created a solution in order to address it. Then a week or so later, someone else tore it down. And then in response, the original builder took some of the broken pieces from the first bridge and used them to assemble a new bridge. And I think that's actually how life works and moves forward, which is why I wrote that story into my next book entitled, It Is What You Make of It. 15 stories that push back against the kind of it is what it is thinking that keeps us from entering into the world around us and living fully. The book comes out on June 1st. You can pre-order it now. I hope you do. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Out Podcast. If you'd like to follow up with Kevin Garcia, you can visit him at thekevingarcia, all one word, dot com. If you'd like to be part of the team that makes this podcast happen, we would love to have you on board. You can visit us at patreon.com backslash Justin McRoberts. There are several tiers by which you can enter into support of this work. We'd love to have you on the team. Until next time.